Well, I really love this uh, story for lots of reasons, but it's, it's this great picture of Jesus um, really beginning his ministry, beginning his work, and he's in his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes to the synagogue, the, the worship center uh, for the neighborhood, and surely he is there among friends, childhood friends, family, brothers, sisters, cousins, and others, uh, and he's in the synagogue, and uh, Luke tells us that he gets up to teach. Now, this was common. You could just, anyone could stand up and said, I, I have a word for the day, uh, but Jesus stands to teach, and I, I really love this story. It, more than a sermon that Jesus gives, it's, it's more theater than a sermon. I don't know if you're paying attention as uh, Hannah read the text this morning, but you can see how Luke frames this story and how it flows in and out of the reading of uh, the text that Jesus spoke in that setting. But like Jesus stands up, it says, and he uh, is given a scroll, or maybe he walked to the shelving system that was in many synagogues and looked through the scrolls and said, I'll take Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is too big for one scroll, so he probably said, I'll take the third part of Isaiah. And the attendant hands it to him, and he unrolls it. And then it says he found the text, and then he read it, which is a timeout, because now we're like, wait, Jesus reads? And then he rolls it back up, and then he hands it to the attendant, which the Greek word there is the intern. Just kidding. It's not what it is. Uh, I just sensed I was losing you, so I threw that in there. Uh, but, so don't quote me on it. But hands it back to the attendant, and then he sits down. And then everyone's just looking at him. And he's like, oh, that thing I just read, it's happening right here, right now. He uses the words, it's fulfilled in this hearing. The first sermon I ever preached was a few things. One, it was probably terrible. Uh, <laughs> number two, it wasn't even at my home church. My home church, by the way, never asked me to come back and give a sermon as a young Bible college or a seminary student. Uh, never once did I, did I get asked to come back and preach in front of them. Uh, but the first time I ever preached was when I was an intern over a summer during my undergrad years. Uh, at a church, and they gave me the Sunday night slot, which, as you know, no one comes to. And uh, they gave me a text to preach on, and I spent about 30 minutes on it, you know, and got up and delivered it, which probably took 48 minutes. Um, and I'm, they recorded things back then, but it was on cassette tape, so this is not even retrievable. You can't even go look for this, uh, which is really good. Uh, I heard someone t say once, and this is true, your first 200 sermons will be terrible. And uh, so that was the first one. of. So I had 199 more to go, and many of you were there for most of those. Uh, <laughs> this may be one of those as well. But I remember my first sermon, and it definitely was not of the level of just reading a text, sitting down, everyone looking at me and then just saying, oh, this has been fulfilled and you're hearing. I feel like people would feel cheated out of their tithe money if that's what I did. We're certainly missing some things that Jesus said. Uh, 
Luke does not give us the sermon, so to speak. He gives the aftermath. In fact, if we look ahead in verse 22, he writes, All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. So Jesus clearly had something to say. And I love the part of the story where Luke says that he found the text. They gave him the scroll, he unrolls it, and he finds it. He looks for something that he wants to read. This is not an arbitrary reading. This is not something that was just handed to him, but intentional. He finds it. This is what Jesus wanted to say. And what does he say? What does he read from? Well, it's kind of tricky. He reads a piece of Isaiah 61, and then he patchworks a piece from Isaiah 58 into it, and then he omits some things from the Isaiah passage. It's very interesting. But what he says and what he reads was nonetheless a very well-known text at this time. Let me read just the basics of it again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, this text, by the time of Jesus, had become quite associated with uh, the coming of the Messiah. This was a very particular passage that was read and used as this anticipatory text for the coming salvation of the world. So this was not an unknown text. It was a very hopeful passage. To hear it was to smile, to be reminded. It's like your favorite hymn or song. There's a sense that everybody just drums up this sense of hopefulness when it's heard. It's also a very personal text at the time of Jesus. Jesus is in a synagogue in Nazareth in a corner of the Roman Empire speaking to an oppressed and marginalized people. This is a very personal text. When they read and hear about the good news to the poor and sight to the blind and the captives going free, they think of themselves in the text as well. That's the hope that they have. And for many, maybe even by the days of Jesus, this was a very last-ditch text. Please, Lord, save us from this. And so at this point in history, when Jesus read this, all eyes and ears are on him. They want to know what he will say because at this point in history, it's almost a prayer, a word of anticipation. And Jesus said, today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, these words and statements in the text that Jesus read, they would give structure and movement to the ministry and the work of Jesus. This passage situated here at the very beginning of his ministry in Luke's gospel is almost an outline for everything that Jesus will do and say in the chapters ahead. If we follow Jesus into every scene and situation of his life, what we get is to watch this text unfold, giving sight to the blind, being with the poor, letting the oppressed go free. We get to see it. And so this passage would give structure and movement to Jesus and his ministry, and naturally and appropriately, it gives structure and movement to the church, 
and her work in the world as well. This passage is supposed to define what we are about as well. And each one of these statements in the passage that Jesus read, each one stands as a very important invitation for the church. And that invitation is simple. Work for the good of all of those who are living in the shadows of trouble. Work for the good for all of those who are living in the shadows of trouble. We know that. But there is a downside. The downside is that you and I would read this and that we wouldn't hear these words uh, as ones that have us, you and me, as their object. Because all of us in this room, whether we want to admit it or not, are privileged people. And when we think about our lives, we often think we don't really fit into these categories. We don't really read this text and hear the words and the passages as having us as their object, that we are somehow dislocated from all of these things, that these are for those who live uh, lives that are more conspicuously troubled, but not me, not my life not the things that I experience. But let me say something pastorally to you. Um, I've been working in a church as a career <laughs> since 1995, so it's been a long time. And in those nearly uh, 30 years, uh, what I have seen is that someone does not have to be financially poor to understand the realities that come with a poverty of spirit, a poverty of hope, a poverty of promise. It's real. Someone doesn't have to be physically uh, imprisoned to know the captivity of addiction, of hatred, of anger, or fear, or just a subterranean hum of hopelessness. Somebody doesn't have to be literally blind to know the realities of uncertainty, to not be able to get out of this moment because I cannot see past the situation that I'm in, past the present troubles. I just can't get out. You don't have to be physically blind to feel like you're living in the dark. Someone doesn't have to be on the list of an officially oppressed group to carry the weight of being forgotten, of thrown out, of left aside. Yes, these are real things. And the church positions herself to help people in these very real situations. But it's important that we also hear ourselves as the object of these words, too. All of us have lived through times when the bottom of our lives fell out. Amen? Thank you for being honest about that. All of us. If you have not, I want to meet you today. But no matter how well we dress, how well we look, how well we speak, how educated we are, how civilized we are, all of us have had the bottom fall out of our lives. And all of our best laid plans 
have rolled away at some point in our lives. All of us have been forgotten. All of us have been dismissed. All of us have been cast aside. All of us have had seasons where we are alone. And Jesus says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was asking his home synagogue that they no longer uh, see him as that hometown kid who helped his dad build birdhouses. Not to see him in those light, that light any longer, but as the one who has come to do these things in the lives of people. Amen? This is who I was, but this is what God has called me to do. And I have come to set these people, all of these people, free. Like a bird on a wire Like a drum in a midnight quiet, I have tried in my own way to be free. Like a word on a hook, like a knife. In some more fashion book I have saved all my ribbons just for 